0: So we, as a nation, have an obligation to try to democratize as much as we can the information about change. And the the, the information is great, but it's what you do with the information that's even much more important. That's good.
1: Welcome to the HGW Podcast, where your hosts Zoe Sekutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked
2: a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind the scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness.
1: Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use.
2: No shaming, no guilt, just the cold pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally.
1: And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey.
2: Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend.
1: Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well.
2: Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm coming out of a, a sleepy weekend filled with too much, too much, too many things to eat. <laughs>
1: yeah, all the things, all the things that happened this weekend. All oh. just things, <laughs> like very, very decadent, oh, very indulgent this entire weekend,
2: mm. which mm. I kind of needed. I kind of needed. And now we need to bounce back and a little reset. It's mm-hmm. cool. That's what yeah. amazing for. That's just yeah. Yeah.
1: And so how are you going to do it? How are you going to bounce back this week?
2: What's your plan? What's your strategy? Well, you know, it's a tricky week because I don't know if you remember, because sometimes, you know, it's it's really easy to forget when it's my birthday. Um, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't tend to talk about it. <laughs> no, you usually <laughs> just go underground and... I usually fly <laughs> super low.
1: You know, I think it's so important to celebrate your birthday. It's I know.
2: Really- this is part of the reason that we're friends is because I think we both really enjoy birthdays more than <laughs> we I, I
1: I So Ellen, actually, Ellen Vora had a great post recently on Instagram where she was like, I don't know, she posted herself dancing basically at her own birthday party. And she wrote this long piece about just how important it is to celebrate. How important it is to celebrate your birthday, and to not sort of like shrink and be this modest, like, "Oh, I can't believe everyone's focusing on me." I think that is such a shame, um, and I love that she posted about it. And I can't wait to celebrate your birthday.
2: Me too. Thanks. Maybe we should also see if Alan Bora wants to come and dance at my birthday. I know, because there will be <laughs> dancing. <laughs> there uh, will always be dancing. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> you know, even if I'm
1: the last one standing and everyone dies you know, before me. So such a morbid thought. I will still celebrate my birthday by myself and well, dance alone if I have to.
2: As well, you should, especially if you're the last one standing. <laughs> especially if I'm like 110. <laughs> no one else is going to celebrate that shit for you. <laughs> I might not be able to dance. It'll probably just be
1: more of like a finger tap at that point.
2: <laughs> um. So I feel like it is, we're doing something a little special this week in kind of airing a reprise a, a curtain call, if you will, or, or yeah. uh, a, I don't know. Encore. An encore, an encore presentation. An encore presentation of our interview with Seamus Mullen. Seamus. I mean, I feel like it's very timely now, you know, we're, yeah. talking, about, we're talking about personal transformation. We're talking about, you know, uh, the coming of a new year. It's kind of nice to look back. And I don't know, we felt like we had, we really loved, I mean, Seamus, like, He's a cool dude. He's a fun, interesting, fascinating person, and we had a really nice chat with him. And that was so long ago that, and it feels like now there's opportunity for it to be fresh.
1: Yeah, and it's nice because it's almost when's our when's our
2: pod anniversary? That's got to be coming, right? Well, it's kind of tomorrow because that was really our. (laughs) I mean, that was our first. That was our first like live event. Was oh okay, but then our our anniversary is I guess like mid mid late July okay Only
1: one year old okay we'll be one. we'll do something really special for that, but yeah, so Seamus has a great whatever he's so nice we 're going to play him twice that's how much we like him
2: that's really what it is he's a chef he's an author, he's a speaker he's had his own experiences with like the health crises that left him at almost at death's store, and now yeah. he's. Triumphing with his, he's got a podcast too, which is cool. Yes. He's doing the Goop Fellas podcast with Dr. Will Cole, also a former guest of ours, also a rad dude. So we're excited for both of these guys. Yeah. So
1: let's have a revisit and listen to Seamus's amazing story one more time. One more time.
0: I have laryngitis and bronchitis. You do? I think so. I don't know. I've been, for the past three days, I've been coughing up Goonies. Gross. Ever since I went to see the Goonies. I was going
2: to say, it's our second Oregon reference, the second (laughs) Goonies reference of the day. (laughs) just came back from Oregon. I was just
0: in Astoria where the Goonies was filmed.
2: Oh, nice. Uh, Astoria, Oregon.
0: Uh, No, no, Queens. Queens. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so you caught some weird phlegm monsters on the plane. Yeah, I
0: just, you know, it's the typical dehydration exhaustion fly a plane overnight
1: you don't believe in airborne
0: Airborne? Does that still exist? No, no. no one
1: believes in airborne. I, mean, I yes, No, people believe in airborne. My mom believes in <laughs> The problem is it doesn't do anything.
0: It doesn't do anything. No, I mean, listen, I believe in taking high doses of zinc and right. glutathione and, and, you know, uh, all the other things that you could possibly do. And staying hydrated and um, I know you're not a fan, but nasal spray. Yeah, he's got some funky navel spray. N- yeah, nasal. N- <laughs>
2: nasal spray? Naval spray.
0: Yeah, navel spray.
2: Is
1: that to keep your, your belly button ring clean? If <laughs> your
0: yeah, gets infected, if I don't. Use it. Is there anything grosser than a dude with a belly button Um, ring?
2: I mean, in my book, Uh, there's actually nothing grosser than a belly button, so it doesn't even need to go. How about a Pregnant (laughs) belly button. I I can't. An Audi. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> any person that i see physically touching their belly button i it, there's a gag reflex that happens really yes it, i don't know why but it, no i don't it's, like anyone it goes, to
0: it's a strange it actually feels like it goes straight to your spine yeah word, it's,
2: right. like, oh, it's like it goes to your soul it's like the first scar that you ever got and i think scars are kind of i mean they're cool but i don't like watching people touch their scars yeah oh here's a
1: riddle for you okay i'm glad we're getting all the important stuff <laughs> stop out of the way.
2: and then we're gonna hear them. okay
1: Adam and Eve are walking along the beach naked. How do you know it's Adam and Eve? Scan their body, scan their body. How do you know it's Adam and Eve? They Somebody's got, got a rib. No
0: belly buttons. Yes. Oh Boom. my
1: God. Nobody ever <laughs> hits that. Nice one. Clever.
2: I mean, mm. I actually feel like a good icebreaker would be the story that you alluded to about five minutes ago. <laughs> if we could just get
0: into that. Yeah. Me peeing myself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's got a good pee yourself story, right? It's I mean, not easy to pee yourself.
2: That's kind of the hypothesis, Talk right? Like
1: a while you're- a
0: woman. Yeah, okay, well- <laughs>
1: Myself not included, obviously.
0: Right, of course.
2: So tell, what happened while you were sporting?
0: Well, this was 1997. I was two years old. Um, <laughs> and I was a, I was a semi-pro mountain biker and I was really into racing. And um, I was in a race that was a pretty important race for me. And I was out in front, I was winning the race. And, um, the race had like a bunch of switchbacks and towards the end of the race, one of my teammates who had, who had finished and he was in a, in another class, he could see that I had about a 35 second lead on the guy behind me. And there was probably a mile left to go in the race. And I had to pee like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: how long, I mean, how long are you cycling at this point?
0: I uh, it was like two hours and 30 minutes. Okay. Into the race. Or something. It was getting towards the end of the race. And I really had to pee. I knew I was 30 seconds up on this guy. There's a mile left. And you start doing pee math I, in your head. I'm like, can I stop and pee? Cause in races, in a road race, like a long road race, you take a nature break and everybody kind of slows down yeah. and there's, and in a mountain bike race, generally speaking, you try to pee before the race and then you pee after the race. You're, you're hyper hydrating the whole time. This is also in the height of summer. So you want to make sure that you're plenty hydrated. I realized that if I stopped and peed, I was going to lose the race. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm just going to make it. And then I got, you know, within half a mile to finish and I was, I couldn't hold it. And I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to pee myself. And of course, when you're really dehydrated, your pee is very bright yellow.
1: <laughs> and stinky.
0: Yeah, and stinky, yeah. <laughs> and of course, if you're wearing a white skin suit. Mm, yes, as we all oh, like white to do. White skin, yeah. skin suit. Yeah, so I crossed the finish line with my hands in the air, really excited to win, looking down with complete visibility of everything going on, all, all my stuff totally within visibility. <laughs>
1: but you were wearing white. So now, I'm assuming that you were covered with sweat, and therefore the white suit was then totally transparent.
0: Well, it was pretty transparent anyway, but then add in like a giant half, half a liter of, of you know, Gatorade colored pee. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah.
2: thankfully, no Instagram in those days. No, no, God, this
0: is even before digital cameras. So perfect. Yeah, it like, was...
2: How could you tell? So the difference? sitting around the podcast room is the only way that story yeah, still exactly. lives. <laughs> you know, how can... <laughs> the
1: old campfire?
0: Yeah.
2: How could you tell the difference
1: between a pee and a water from sweat? I'm sorry. I'm no, you're really like, just, just getting too technical. That. Yeah, you got you got stuck
0: White, on that. Why? He's wearing a white skin, skin suit, suit. Yellow stain. I think it's pretty obvious. It was, yeah, around, it
2: was just yellow.
0: All around your belly button area that we were just talking about. Yeah,
2: touch that. Yeah. Ah,
0: okay. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. juice. Yeah, totally. Juice.
1: Frank Lipman taught you well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Frank's a good guy. Yeah. In addition to being a very close friend and somebody that I admire a lot, he he really saved my life. Um, and, and I don't say that lightly. Yeah. I, I, was, I was on uh, a highway to hell.
2: <laughs> yes. Hear the music. <clears throat> yeah. And then you got onto your...
0: exactly so
2: it started back in the kitchen it started actually maybe earlier I
0: mean my shit storm
2: yeah where did your shit storm originate
0: well that's that's actually where it was really interesting talking to Frank because um, I learned and have learned a lot since then that it probably started in infancy in childhood and, and one of the issues I think we have with conventional medicine is that we have an approach where you think if there's a problem and you can isolate the root cause, the single root cause, and then you can change that, that you can rectify the problem. Um, and the reality with the human body is that it's a very complex system. It's just like a garden. And there's this butterfly effect of so many little different elements that impact the trajectory of your health. Uh, and I, I mean, I think of it as these three concentric circles. If you were to imagine a Venn diagram and there's your, your genetics, which you really can't do a whole lot about, at least not yet. And then there's your environment, which you can exercise some power over. Um, but the area where you have the the most dominion is your behavior and and the intersection of that Venn Venn diagram is where health or, or illness lives. And... All of the little choices we make throughout the course of our lives, and some of those choices are choices that are made for us. Some of those choices are choices we inherit from decisions, from the environment in which we are nurtured in. But those all tend to contribute to what may be a tipping point. So if you happen to be blessed with terrible genes... Or genetically, quote unquote, predisposed to something, and then you happen to have lived in an environment in which uh, there's a lot of there's a heavy toxic load in your body, and then you happen to also follow a pattern of really poor food choices, health choices throughout the course of your life, it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. And and, and to, to that degree, like I'm, one of the things that people always say to me, and I see you know if you, someone gets food poisoning and and they say, uh, but I had the exact same thing and I didn't get sick, right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you d- didn't get food poisoning. Your body just processed whatever bacteria was in the food differently than the other person. You may have been more or less prepared to to deal with it. So right. for, for it's me, it's literally what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So for me, I think you know, I, I I think there there were there are moments that are definitely really important, marked moments throughout the course of my life that chipped away at my health and got me towards a place of ill health, but it wasn't like there was one cataclysmic event that made me sick. It was rather, you know, we always talk about death by a thousand cuts. I like to think of health as being health by a thousand Mm. choices. And once I was able to really wrap my head around that idea that all of the little things that had happened throughout the course of my life, there were many things that contributed to slowly degrading my health. That all of the small choices I made, and some of them are, some of them seem insignificant. It could be a cho- the choice of, uh, for instance, riding my bicycle here today versus taking the subway. Um, that's a very minimal, minimal choice, but in its aggregate, it contributes to me being a healthier person.
2: Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. I mean, and especially considering, to your point, the thousand cuts. Analogy. I mean, it went really, really deep and dark for you.
0: Yeah, very, very deep. Yeah, you know, at its deepest, I mean, at its deepest, I I was in the ICU. Um, you know, at its deepest, I was basically dead. Um, at its deepest, I was struggling with substance. At its deepest, I was on um, I was on many many medications, and and I really didn't think I was going to be. Um, healthy ever again. I thought I just accepted and believed that that was really the reality um, that was to be my reality.
1: Yeah. So when did it start? I mean, so when was the the slow bend? When did it kind of kick off? And I know it does go back to infancy. Yeah. and
0: My twenties, I I was working a lot as a chef, I was developing my career as a chef, and working really hard in what is not an easy industry, um, and uh, burning the candle at both ends getting through as best as I could and doing, you know, doing okay physically, but I had problems. You know, I had, I had aches and pains here, uh, here and there. I had, I had inflammation. Um, it wasn't until my late twenties that I started to have these really bizarre things that seemed like there was something definitely, you know, fishy in Denmark. There was something out of whack. Um, I, I developed a tumor in the back of my neck That led to getting my bloods done, my liver enzymes were really elevated, my um, triglycerides, even though I wasn't at that point really overweight, my triglycerides were very high, my white blood cell count was extremely high. And I kind of got to a place where it was clear there was something wrong with my health, it wasn't clear what it was, and then I had the misfortune of getting into a really bad motorcycle accident. And that kind of took, I felt crap. Crappy, or as I like to say, craptastic all the time. (laughs) And then I broke a bunch of bones and I, you know, I got hit by a truck and it was like, it was really nasty, nasty situation. And so I went from feeling crappy to feeling crappy for another reason. And it became very difficult to kind of focus on which crap. Yeah. Differentiate because it was all just a general pile of crap. So it was hard to tell what was what, but as I started to heal from the broken bones and all of that stuff and the surgeries and, you know, get back on my feet, I was left in a very different place than I had been before the accident. And then that started to lead to these chronic acute flare-ups in different joints, coupled with just general malaise, uh, a lot of aches and pains. And I was in and out of the hospital with attacks in my joints. And that's when I was eventually diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, RA was something that at the time, I guess there weren't big ad buys on MSNBC for pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. companies. So nobody had heard of RA, but now everyone has heard of it. But uh I didn't I had no idea what RA was. I, I thought of arthritis as being a disease of the elderly as most mm-hmm. people do. Yeah. I, I thought arthritis, osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis were the same thing, which which they aren't. Um, rheumatoid arthritis essentially, and as I'm sure all your listeners know, is an autoimmune dysfunction. And the arthritic element of that is really just the presentation of some sort of um imbalance in the immune system, an overactive immune system that can present itself in different ways. And uh, you know, we've I've I've come to really think of immune dysfunction as being having very similar manifestations, but the actual way it presents itself um, could be RA, it could be Sjogren's syndrome, it could be Crohn's, it could be it could show up in different parts of the body, but generally speaking, the root issue is very, very related. But unfortunately, the way our medical system is set up, we treat in verticals because it's very mm-hmm. easy to say we're a specialist and this is...
2: Here's this. the pill for this, yeah. and don't worry about the rest of it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So this is the medication that the we use. The
2: major flaw. It's system, infuriating.
0: Right. <laughs> so I went down that path... Of of treating it, the allopathic method of treating it, and the problem with that is that it's really good at suppressing symptoms. So it in in a in a progressive degenerative disease like RA, where your joints will start to break down, um, it it will slow down those acute attacks that cause the breakdown of the joints. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't change whatever the underlying body behavior is that's leading to those presentations. Right. And the other problem is is that all of these medications are extremely disruptive to the body and to the system of the body in many many different ways Um, it's not natural to suppress your immune system and when you suppress your immune system you also leave yourself exposed to so many other mm-hmm. you know other issues
2: right which to your point again the conventional sort of you know western medical thinking says oh well now that that's happening we have another pill for that and you yeah. just start taking more and more meds to address the issues that have actually been caused by the previous meds right. and it's this horrible cycle and it's expensive and no one comes out of it the better
0: Unless you go and you get a prescription for opioid opioid induced constipation. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> Have you been watching a lot of Hamilton? I mean, too?
0: it's it's <laughs> I can't help it. Like every time I, I well, yes, of course, because that's the reality we live because in. Because the world is falling apart. <laughs> exactly, but but I can't. I'm I'm amazed at how. There are so many secondary drugs yes. that are used for treating, you know, it's just it, the whole...
2: Uh, the opioid, opioid-induced constipation is an incredibly accurate example yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's like you're you're blocked up because you're taking a drug that you probably shouldn't be taking in the right. first place.
2: And then you take this drug yeah. and then that's going to grow you a tail or whatever. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Horrible God. game of Jenga. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, rheumatoid arthritis wasn't even like the worst of what you had, right? But... It was this whole sort of just progression of yeah terrible like, <laughs> cascading effect.
0: One thing begets another, and that's the problem with with a lot of this, you know, with chronic illness. And and the and I'm I'm not here to like sit and and. and take a big dump on western medicine because there's a lot of there are you know, benefits for sure. Yeah, and there's also a lot of really great progressive thinkers now who are looking at uh, a very holistic approach. And and certainly if I have a if my femur is sticking out of my leg, I'm not going to go to Frank and ask him to put some needles in. Right. You know, when it comes to recovery, he's probably going to be able to help me out a lot better than a lot of the the mechanics that'll be able to put the bone back together. So
1: just so everybody knows because <laughs> we keep referencing Frank, he's got a lot of street cred here in New York and Everywhere else, mm-hmm. uh, but he's an amazing functional medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. Who I'm very happy to know, and I think a lot of other people like yourself over
0: Yeah, yeah, and and he's also extremely generous with what he's mm-hmm. been. He, the the thing is that he's gone from being heretic to being guru in mm-hmm. lots of ways. He he's been saying a lot of the same stuff with the same approach for yep. thirty plus years, right. and finally everyone else is catching up to him. So. Western medicine has a lot. There's, there's a lot that we have learned and that we know, and there's technology can do a tremendous amount to help us be better versions, the best versions of ourselves to care for ourselves. But the part of the problem that we have is that we, um, you know, we're stuck in a, in a cycle where, um, there's the sickness is an, is, is an industry mm-hmm. and there's a lot of money to be made in keeping people sick. And then just this sort of, um, you know, palliative care.
2: I think that addressing these root causes before you have to end up in, I mean, obviously, if in the case of a a car wreck or something like that, there are certain things that somewhat cannot be controlled and you're going to wind up in the ER. Yeah. But to address the root causes and to start with the baseline where you actually know again, like in infancy or in childhood, oh, these things are not just like, that wasn't just me having a stomach ache. That was me probably having like massive gut health issues as a five-year-old yeah. that no one ever acknowledged because that's just yeah. not how we thought about things.
0: And that's, exact, that's exactly my case. I mean I, from time eternal, as long as I can remember I would be bloated and have a stomach ache after every meal mm-hmm. as a child. I'd have to lie down on the couch. And my my parents were very open-minded and they were certainly not negligent by any stretch of the imagination, but the information wasn't there to mm-hmm. say, Hi, you know what, maybe there's something, maybe something is not quite right here. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but I think it's amazing that you became a chef.
0: No, but I I love food. I mean, it's still to this day, it's one of those things that I have to, I have to be really conscientious of. Like for instance, I love I love Szechuan food. I will never eat Szechuan food again. <laughs> that's so sad.
1: So we could totally hang out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like Szechuan
0: food. I mean, I love the taste of it, but the yeah. reality is, like, I know, and I've learned the hard way. And for many years, I just sort of was like, whatever. But I know that Szechuan food, the, the combination of dried chilies, oil, sugar, mm-hmm. those things together are like this perfect storm that's going to cause me to have complete, you know, gut pain and be wrecked for like two days yeah. and feel really, so, really sick.
1: How do you think about foods that cause inflammation? Because, you know, while we're all trying to sort of eat more vegetables and protein and stay away from the grains and the starch and Mm -hmm. the gluten and dairy and everything else, there are still some culprits in that patch of vegetables that cause inflammation. And I think I've recently found that very upsetting because it's like it's so limiting. So um, if you could come out with a book that's just about inflammation, it's called that would be eat amazing. It's
0: called
1: Eat Water. <laughs> exactly. It's called Delicious. You're yeah. going to starve to death. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so upsetting because I'm like, oh my God, I can't eat peppers. I can't eat tomatoes. I can't eat, because- you know,
2: All the nightshades. I can't do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I have to avoid the whole the whole bag. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you deal with that?
0: You know, it's, it's hard because um, we- Culturally, have fallen in love with so many foodstuffs that are not in love with us mm-hmm. over a long period of time. I love spicy food. Yeah, I could who, just love like not um, I mean, think about like to me a habanero pepper. Just a little bit of it has the most incredible flavor. It, it's just fruity and spicy and brings so much to the party. But too much of it, and you, you know, you really are. For me, at least, I'm I'm in trouble. It's gonna it's gonna be very inflammatory. I'm gonna feel it. In my hands, I'm going to feel it in my gut. It's so personal, and it really depends upon the individual, and a part of it is really getting to a point where you're in tune with, I hate saying this because it sounds really cheesy, but being in tune with with how you feel, how the foods you eat make you feel. Mm -hmm. It's
2: not cheesy. It's so accurate, and I think it's so largely ignored. Yeah. People just assume they're
1: full. Right. I know. It sounds like an easy answer, right? It's like, just listen to your body. But it's kind of like, well... That's, it takes, that's the correct
0: answer. Yeah, it takes a long time to actually get to a point where you can listen to your body. You know, yeah. I, 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 I say this a lot. When, when you're feeling craptastic, craptastic plus or minus 5%, is pretty hard to perceive. Right. Yeah. So you kind of have to clean out the cupboard first. You've got to like give your body a real break.
2: Elimination diets are. I mean, it's not. It's not witchcraft by any no. means. It's really. It's so. I think it's the best way to actually tell. It's logical. What's going on? Because yeah. you know everybody's microbiome is totally different. Everything you're bringing to the table is completely different. So there's no hard and fast rule that. That gluten is not good for me and therefore it's not good for you. It's yeah. Bullshit. No,
0: exactly. And that's it goes back to the point where I had the same thing that she had right. and I didn't get food poisoning. Right.
2: You kinda you know, did. You just, yeah, didn't know you just it.
0: your body just you know, handled it a little bit more, masked it, or you're actually used to feeling like shit all the time. Right. So it didn't really you didn't really right. notice.
2: You were saying earlier you know you had all these things going on that all of a sudden you couldn't even focus on because then you had an acute incident and yeah. then you had to focus on broken bones rather than inflammation yeah. but i mean that can become a very slippery slope like what do you what can you say to people that sort of has them like you know break this cycle a little bit of you know just ignoring it and assuming like oh well, i just overate that day like how do you uh...
0: it requires help it requires a team a coach, a partner, a someone. It, it it can't be you can't do it by yourself. It's too much to to expect any one individual to do it their own. Because the problem is is that we live in we all suffer from from APS. You guys know what that is, right? APS? Yeah. No. Amazon Primeson.
1: Oh
0: so so we all suffer from APS. You have a headache, you take a pill and it gets rid of the headache. You, you know, whatever your your too hot, you turn the air conditioning on and you cool the room. You're too cold, you turn the heat up. So we, we all suffer from this, um, and we have a culture that's built around instant gratification. Fixes, yeah. And so when you feel terrible and your ankles are swollen and you're overweight and you don't feel good, changing your diet from day one to day two is going to make absolutely, you're going to feel absolutely zero difference. You're still gonna feel like shit all the time, and even by day three, you're gonna still feel like shit. You promise? I promise. I promise <laughs> you that you drink kale smoothies every day for three days, and you're gonna feel like shit yes. still.
1: By the They're, way, they should make a business uh, about need, that. Yeah. <laughs> they should.
0: <laughs> no, um, and 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 but the problem, is, the reality is though, if you have the team, the coach, the partner, the support system, the structure to stick with it and stay with it for an extended period of time to where it becomes adoptive behavior and you're changing your behavior, then slowly you will start to make changes. I promise you this, and this is, this is the promise Frank made to me. And I make this promise to other people is that if you are dedicated and committed and stick with it, you will feel better. How much better depends upon how much work you put into it. And the reality, I truly believe that um, illness yes it is contagious health way more contagious yeah. once you start to feel a little bit better yeah it changes it works when you start to feel better i mean the f-
1: and there is a desire for it is right a desire but for- it's a slow There's, burn it's a pull there yeah. are people on the other end saying i want that yeah, yeah. I more of that
0: and it's not just in the fringes of of the coasts of the country like this is something that needs to be democratized and it needs yes. to be shared across the entirety of not just this country but the, the the earth that we inhabit because we've exported over the past 50 60 years we've exported illness from this country you know we have, you have the the fastest growing rate of obesity in Brazil, uh, in the world, you have, you know, you have modern diseases like, um, type two diabetes, uh, spectrum disorders showing lifestyle, up in, diseases. In, in lifestyle diseases showing up in Africa that never existed yeah. before. You have autoimmune dysfunction in India that never happened before. We're exporting this now. So we as a nation have an obligation to try to democratize as much as we can, the information about change and the, the, the information is great. But it's what you do with the information that's even much more important.
2: But I think that's a great point. We do need to democratize that information is the key to that. But not everybody can have access to Frank or to a team of anybody. So of what do those people do? I mean, the first thing they do is empower themselves with some level of information. But yes. then, then what's the plan?
0: Yeah. It, for, I mean, first it begins with, it, listen, the first step is, is conviction. The first step is, is believing that you don't have to be sick. Mm-hmm. And when I made the personal decision that I was not going to be sick, that I was no longer sick, but rather I had a sickness. Mm
1: -hmm. You had dis-ease.
0: I had Mm dis-ease. I could, I was the first step towards eliminating Mm dis-ease. And so, you know... You're totally right. Not everybody has access or can afford access to a healthcare provider who actually can give them really legitimate, genuine support. The one good thing, not the one good thing, but one of the great things about technology is that... Mm -hmm. um, it makes a lot of this information much more readily available, okay. and it, um, you know, from virtual health coaches mm-hmm. to uh, apps that help you, you know, for very little cost or no cost, okay. track your track your food consumption. So at the very least, so if not, if nothing else, you start to track the food you're you're consuming. I mean, it's amazing how you could take somebody who, without making any changes to uh, what they're eating, just track how they're eating, mm-hmm. or when they're, eating. or when they're eating, and suddenly see improvement in their health. Because it's really particularly when you know when when you're eating a when you're following the sad diet and you're eating predominantly um, refined carbohydrates and starches and a lot of sugars, your brain doesn't get the message that it's reached satiety until long after you've overeaten. Mm-hmm. Like the scale is one of those things; it's a slippery slope. People step on the scale every right. day, and they're like, "Oh my god, I haven't lost Not weight." A of of no, no, but. You know, getting on the scale every two weeks when you're following a plan is not a bad thing because you're like you're getting ready. It's three days away. You're thinking about it. You're like, okay, I'm going to step on the scale and 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 I'm going to see how you know see how much progress I've made. But maybe it isn't the scale. Maybe it's maybe it's the mirror. Maybe it's the weights that you're lifting. Maybe, maybe it's the it's, rings on your finger. Maybe, yes, exactly. they are. Yeah, yeah, always the belt, in the I mean, the belt for Lord. me was.
1: This I, is always my. This is like my marker. I am always like, hmm, yeah, I need to very easily yeah. be able to take my ring off my finger. If I yeah. don't, I'm like. Like bloated. Yep. Yeah. It's The sushi. It's
0: the wine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a leather belt that um, I still have that I punched all these holes in as like I lost weight and 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 you know got healthier and you know I look at it you, know, you can see where the buckle was worn out from mm-hmm. where I would had worn it for years and that's literally six and a half inches from where the belt is now. And regardless, you know, that's like that. That to me was every time it was like, okay, I'm going to punch a new hole in my belt. Yeah. It was it's like a big I, moment. Yeah, it was a big moment. I was like, this, I've made some accomplishment. And <laughs> how
1: did you celebrate?
0: Um, I had a pint of ice cream. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and again, maybe, maybe I did. Maybe it, you know, and maybe that is there. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. You no, know, you know, that's that's yeah. a big part of it too. You yeah. know, when, when, when we become so obsessive about our health that the obsession leads to anxiety yeah. you know anxiety <laughs> orthorexia stress, orthorexia yeah. i mean cortisol is and lack of sleep and and these are these are things that lead to weight gain as much as as overeating yeah. Um, so you could be stressing out about like not eating the right things, and by doing that, you're actually going to. Right. you may as get, well just get, eat be, the ice cream. And dealing exactly, <laughs> yeah. and dealing with with um with, with with the stress.
1: Okay, so I have a question for you. Yeah. When you were on your journey, checking off all of these insane issues, yeah, like meningitis. I mean, every you're checking a lot of boxes yeah. here. No doubt, you were seeing many different doctors, many specialists.
0: Yeah.
1: I can't imagine the mindset that you must have been in just mentally, emotionally, how that could wear you down. Was one person on that team a therapist? I mean, did you have any mental kind of support during that, during that phase?
0: Yeah, I did. And that's a great, you know, that's a great question. I mean, that's, um, I, I had a therapist who I was really close with and, and someone who, I considered to be a really close friend. Unfortunately, he passed away recently. And that was definitely a part of it. But mostly, I mean, I, I had a lot of therapists, you know, my, my ex-wife was like my therapist. She was incredibly supportive, um, uh, and was just the, you know, most incredible friend through all of it. Um, my parents, my brother, <laughs> my, my, my colleagues, um, One of the things that was really, really helpful for me, when I felt like I was still kind of like just sloshing around in this pool and not really getting anywhere, just to see that the noise that was happening from my sloshing around was starting to affect other people within the industry as well and to start to see other colleagues of mine to start to take stock of where they were and to make an effort to, to, to try to affect some change over their life. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, I'm most proud of in my own journey that I've gone through. I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful to have my health, um, and to continue to build on my health because I, I think that it's it's an ongoing process with peaks and valleys and I mean I have laryngitis right now so I'm in a valley right now but I know I'm going to come out of this valley but I sound better on podcasts yeah <laughs> super um, <fancy. laughs> but I can share and I do share what I've gone through and what's worked for me but ultimately you know I, if I tell you that you should spray glutathione up your nose and that you should be having this prebiotic and that yet yada yada, that doesn't really matter like what what I can best share the best information that I can share to you is that, Hey, this schmuck got better mm-hmm. and I can get better too. And it's really that, that sense of individual empowerment and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people that were that for me, um, that while they might've shared nuggets of, of, of knowledge, the most important thing that they shared with me was a sense of hope You know, you get a nugget of knowledge and you get a boatload of hope and a boatload of hope is worth way more than a little nugget of knowledge. And so that's, that's what really, really helped me on this path. And it's made me feel really, I mean, that's, that's, what's the most rewarding thing for me when I was in those murky waters and trying to, you know, figure out what was going on here and there. You're right. It was completely overwhelming. Um, there were times where I felt very dark, where I would get really angry, um, where I held on to a lot of anger and i i I was like, "Why me? why the fuck i don't deserve this and blah blah, blah. and that really you know i that that got me stuck into this I sort of perseverated on this path of victimization i 'm a victim mm-hmm. and it, it it took a while for me to get beyond that, and I think that that 's a big part of overcoming or getting on a positive journey with health is to stop viewing yourself as a victim. Because when you think of yourself as a victim, you don't have responsibility in the situation that you're in. You're projecting all of that responsibility on outside forces. Um, And in doing that, you really can't do anything because you can't control outside forces. But when you take some ownership and say, okay, well... I got into this situation and I may have made some bad decisions to get into this situation. So now I've got to, I've got to change. I've got to own up to the mistakes I've made and try to improve upon them. That helped me get out of a situation of feeling like, you know, when, when I had like all these different doctors telling me different things, eventually I realized, well, I got to quarterback this myself
1: Yeah, right. yeah. because
0: no one else is going to no, my, my health, is a prior is, is not a priority for anyone except me. No. In and that
1: is right. the sad truth. I mean, yeah. that is the reality I think that everyone needs to sort of come to terms with. Yeah.
2: Um but it also sounds like I mean it it it's so valuable to have such an incredible support network around you that, you know, that you had that sort of symbiotic relationship. They were supporting you, you were influencing them and so you're very lucky in that way. But yeah, that victim mentality is, I mean, it's sometimes I think more dangerous than whatever issue it is that you're battling because until you are actually ready to sit up and take charge, no yeah. one else is going to do it. And- um, I, I saw my therapist yesterday and I, I cried
1: to her about my GI appointment that I had. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is going on here where I'm sitting in my strings office and getting like spending 45 minutes talking about... The state of like healthcare and the fact that I went to go see this GI about silent reflux and what I think caused it, she just was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. "Yeah, mm-hmm. here's your script." I really went off, but I was like, "God, I'm glad I have this Glad You have your therapist, therapist. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Exactly. laughs> because nobody else wants to hear about
2: me." Uh, Rant, but um, yeah, can we change to some fun? Stuff oh, fine. I like to just get.
0: Yeah, we can be fun.
2: Well, I just want to, I mean, because food, I think it's amazing that it's still such a huge, I mean, it is your life. It's your passion. It's where you go. And I think, especially considering, you know, you've been on such a journey with it through the dark side out into the other and you still want to cook and you still want to make food and you still want to make food for other people is incredible. What are you loving to make? What are you miss creating? Or what have you kind of substituted with your new sort of way of thinking and making food?
0: One of the things I love to do when I cook for other people, like I actually just got back from from Portugal, where I, I was doing a, a bike tour.
1: Oh, um, I was there recently too. Oh,
0: were you? Yeah, where, where were you?
1: Porto and Lisbon, Portugal, <laughs> Portugal. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was in Portugal. <laughs> was, it's like yeah. the,
1: the country is like the size of my thumbnail. Yeah. I was. We were everywhere. Yeah, nice. beautiful though.
0: Yeah, so I was I was in the Douro Valley, which is really pretty. And one of the I do these bike trips a couple of times a year where it's called Chef on Wheels. I do it with my, my friend's company, Duvine Cycling. Um and they're there are like five or six day trips where we ride during the day, and then um in the evening we cook dinner and sometimes I cook with the with the guests and create like a cooking sort of uh, a, a cooking class, other times I just cook dinner. But one of the things that i I love to show people and whenever I'm traveling and I love to cook when i'm traveling, it's like my favorite thing to do when I'm traveling it doesn't matter where I am. Like if I'm in, I was in the Caribbean recently. I spent a lot of time in Italy or if I'm in Spain or wherever, wherever I am, I don't want to recreate the local cuisine and say, okay, so this is your national dish. And now I'm going to do my version of your national dish. I'd rather just like look at the, whatever produce they have, which inevitably is what they're most proud of. And it's this thing, you know, obviously going to be great, whatever is local is best. And then just cook the way that I cook. And, invariably the flavors of that region are going to come through in my cooking but it's just sort of my expression of how i cook um so i was in portugal and and i wasn't going to try to recreate every classic portuguese dish but i wanted to cook with the the portuguese octopus which is amazing and we had these great um romano beans that were you know that were fresh and beautiful and we had portuguese lamb that was great and there're all this great stuff so you know i just i like to cook the way that I cook with the local ingredients and let the flavor of, of, of that region come through in its own way. Um, and and in the end, you know, we end up making these big meals that are marinated anchovies and mm. and grilled fennel and- I'm wa- like starving
1: right <laughs> yeah. now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. the just, yeah. just go to Booker, yeah. <laughs> and, and
0: going out and foraging for wild vegetables along the side of the road and like all this stuff. And these huge spreads, and then, at the end, and and then you know dessert might be something as simple as just figs with some wild honey and mm. you know and pistachios and fresh herbs and lemon balm. and it's this great great amazing Go meal, on. so much goodness. and everyone's super sated at the end has a great time and and then I asked them, so did you guys miss the bread or the sugar mm. or the dairy, or did you miss? I'm like, oh, they're like, oh my God, you're right. There was no bread. There were no carbs. There was no, and oh I feel great. I didn't even miss it, it in your description. Right, oh, exactly. And so what I- I don't
1: even eat meat. Yeah. <laughs>
2: still, I know. I'm like, oh, You're <laughs> like,
0: and I'm I still dying it. for that lamb. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, like, so what I, you know, what I, what I like to do as best as I can is to demonstrate that, like, that you can eat really, really well and you eat well for yourself. You eat well for the environment. You eat well for pleasure and for nourishment and nothing is missing.
2: Mm-hmm
0: there is no hole in your plate. Right. There is no like a giant gaping absence on your table. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's something that, and then when you, at the end of the meal, you feel really good. And right. the next day you poop really good. Exactly. And,
2: Woo-hoo! and everybody
0: wins. It's yeah, it's a win-win exactly. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it, you know, it's not, it's not that complex. We, as humans have been eating one way for close to 2 million years. And then for like a blip on the radar, we've been eating a different way. It's really right. fucking us up. And so if you can kind of tap into the 2 million years of, of intelligence that, you know, of, of like culinary intelligence that we have, and maybe, you know, throw a little Salt bay action at it. You can, <laughs> you can make it, give it a little bit of technique.
2: judge it up a little bit. Yeah, Just judge it up it. a
0: little bit. If we can just kind of dial it back a little bit and tune back into our grandmother's knowledge, um, there's there's so much that yeah,
2: we... there is a lot to be learned there. That's um, you have a lot of this in your book, right? A lot of these mm-hmm. recipes and that style and that approach, which I'm yeah.
0: excited to dive into. It's all about vibrancy, really. It's about vibrancy from. Visual vibrancy because I think it's really important that you obviously we eat with our eyes first, and not only do we eat with our eyes in the sense that you're looking like oh that looks great. The physical process of tasting food begins in the brain. So if you like, if you close your eyes right now, which I'm doing, and you think about, you know, you think really hard about.
1: Okay, I'm gonna close my eyes.
0: Yep. Everybody close their eyes. Mm-hmm. Think really hard about biting into a lemon. Mm-hmm.
1: I can't eat lemons right now. <laughs>
0: Just go with the fantasy. You <laughs> <Okay, okay, okay. laughs> you'll notice that the the it back, makes my like mouth water. Exactly, your salivary glands in the back of your on either side of your tongue will start to 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 water, and what that does is it dilates your your salivary glands. So then the next thing that you taste is going to taste that much more intense right. because you have you know primed. It's primed. It's primed exactly. Okay, I
1: want everyone to close their eyes right now. And to <laughs> yeah. Talk about ice
0: somebody, cream.
1: An amazing <laughs> mezcal. Yeah. It's just That will also make my mouth water. One ice cube.
0: One ice cube, smoky.
1: What is your nightlife looking like these days?
0: I'm not as interested in restaurants now as I was when I was a young cook. Like there's much more that interests me in terms of how I can touch people with food, um, and and a greater audience even outside of restaurants. In New York is a really challenging place to run restaurants and or run any business whatsoever, um, and. I feel to a degree even limited by what I can do within a restaurant. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's much more interesting to me to be able to produce books, to um, even work on. I'm, I don't have a product line yet, but I would love to be able to work on a product line that, that could bring really healthy food in an accessible manner to, to yeah. a greater demographic. Um, because there's only so many people you can feed on a daily basis in a restaurant.
2: restaurant. Yeah, that's true.
1: It's pretty limiting, and it sounds like you have a lot of passion behind the education piece.
0: Yeah, that's really important to me. I'd like to think that we all sort of think of legacy and, you know, what, what, will, what will live beyond us. And I would love to, in some capacity, be part of the national conversation on health and to help people make better decisions about their own health, because personal empowerment, I think, is really, really important particularly when we live it, we live in a world where we feel very very almost as though we're at the 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 mercy of the the medical system and to help people feel empowered to provide people with if not necessarily the tools at least a path or a suggestion of a path I think is really valuable
2: and if you could provide them with some product then, yeah way we'll yeah,
0: some delicious stuff too yeah. yeah
2: well you already told us what's on the menu at your fantasy party <laughs> but I think we really need to know who's invited. Who who are we sitting next to at the table? Oh, That's actually gosh.
0: at this table. <laughs> thank you for
2: rephrasing that. <laughs> who are where are we sitting at the table?
0: Who's who's at the dinner party? Well,
1: actually, I think what we should layer on a little something. Uh, where is the dinner mm-hmm. party?
0: Hmm? Where is the dinner mm-hmm. party? Uh, yeah, the dinner party. The dinner party is going to be. You know, it's kind of cliche, but it's going to be in Tuscany. Oh, that's
2: not shy. I thought you were going to say Spain, but it might be I, a little was, crowded in Tuscany yeah, because we, a lot of people's fantasy dinner parties are. Right, there, but I
0: think but we can find. We'll just a, make an friends old with villa. the next table. I was going to say Costa Rica. There's a beautiful place in Costa Rica that that I really love too. So it could it could be in Spain. We can say Spain.
1: No, no, this is your fantasy. We're saying Tuscany.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right, Tuscany. Um, And it's going to be, you know, obviously a big outdoor table with a trellis that's covered in in creeping vines and grapes and flowers and all sorts of beautiful things. And it's sunset. And yeah, exactly. And there's going to be platters and platters and endless platters of food. And there's going to be food cooked over a a live fire. And there's going to be lots of vegetables and grilled fish and all sorts of deliciousness. And wine flowing and um, mezcal with one cube of ice. (laughs) And uh, who's going to be at this party besides you two? Um, I'll be there. Let's see who else is going to be can there. just
2: leave it there. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, it's just, Whatever. yeah.
0: But the table will be set for 20. Um, <laughs> we'll make uh,
1: local friends.
0: Yeah, make local friends. Yeah. I mean, there, there'll there be so many wonderful people there. You want me to name some of them? I want
1: you to name No, I'm happy with that Trump answer. Uh, like, well, there's yeah. going to be a lot of All yeah. great All the beautiful people. All
0: the best huge, people. Be huge, <laughs> huge people. Well, definitely Michelle Obama will be there. Yes.
1: God, she's got a, she's busy.
0: She, I know she's busy. She's got a lot relations. of dinner parties to go to. Yeah. Rudolph Steiner will be there. I mean, he's dead, but we'll bring him back. Okay, he we'll can bring come. him back for this one. Frank will be there. Bob Marley will be there. All uh, right. Um, let's see. Who, who else should be there? I feel like... I
1: would like to sit in between Frank and Bob Marley <laughs> be so I can cool. get Frank yeah. really stoned and yeah. see what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. John Lennon will be there. Let's see. Who, who else will be there? Maya Angelou will be there. Yes. Gosh, I don't know. There's so many people that should be at this party. I, I big can't. party.
2: Well, we got to start on the you know
0: who, You know who'll be there who's alive? John Lewis will be there. Okay. Because that guy's an American hero. So that's a start. And it they, is a good start. And they all get to bring a friend.
2: Oh, perfect. Plus perfect. ones. No one has included but this a plus one yet. Yeah. this
1: is big... This is getting out of control
0: now. <laughs> yeah. I
1: thought this was going to be an intimate dinner.
0: No, it's like oh. a big table in Tuscany. No, no, yeah, I love it.
1: I surprised my husband with his 40th birthday party with like a villa in italy
0: oh my gosh
1: and like it was like you bought you bought
0: him a villa villa. wow no
1: we airbnb'd this sick villa and then had like a you know beautiful dinner under like you just described the
2: backyard you just took me back yeah yeah was michelle obama there no okay we don't want to work that hard (laughs) (laughs) well this has been really amazing, interesting, compelling and fun to talk to you. Yeah, and thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, you have a great story and I'm glad that you
1: keep sharing it because it's very important and I think you're very inspiring to a lot of people. Yeah.
2: Thanks. We'll do what thanks. we can to get the word out for you. All right. You. Appreciate it. Thanks <laughs> Thank
0: for, for having me.
2: Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at htwpodcast. You can also head to our
1: website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.